Welcome to the 61st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Christopher Golden, author of The Secret Journeys of Jack London in collaboration with Tim Levin, and many other novels, including Joe Golem and the Drowning City, which he wrote in collaboration with Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. Christopher Golden is the author of many novels of dark fantasy and horror. Stay tuned for the interview. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Christopher Golden. Golden is the author of numerous horror and dark fantasy novels and stories, including Strange Wood, Straight On Till Morning, and The Fairy Man. Golden has also written a number of collaborations, including with Tim Levin. They have a series of horror novels, The Novels of the Hidden Cities. Golden and Levin's latest collaboration is a historical adventure novel, The Secret Journeys of Jack London, which is being marketed as a young adult novel. Chris has also written nonfiction, too. He's the co-writer or co-author of The Complete Stephen King Universe with Stanley Weotter and Hank Ketchum. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. Sure. Well, as I just mentioned, you've written a lot of novels. Let's talk about The Secret Journeys of Jack London, your latest book. For the listeners who haven't heard about this novel yet, can you describe what the book is all about? Well, you know, uh, the best way to do that is actually by telling you the story of its genesis. Uh, And that is that um, Tim Levin and I were at the World Horror Convention in Toronto when it was held there a number of years ago. Uh, we were out at a Thai restaurant with uh, a whole bunch of our colleagues, and everybody was drinking and eating and having a grand time. And Tim was talking about uh, his work on the novelization of the film 30 Days of Night. Uh, and he was saying something about how the thing that he, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he wanted to do the most was include a vampire polar bear. <laughs> and we laughed at that a little bit because it's pretty funny. And, uh, and I said something along the lines of, you know, oh, that should be, you know, uh, you could do a whole novel about vampire polar bears and bears and call it White Fangs. And we kind of looked at each other, and I don't know how it happened, but one of us, maybe me, because I've loved Jack London since I was a kid, said, yeah, it could be Jack London, you know, uh, versus uh, versus vampire polar bears. And it's, you know, the, the secret journeys, the real stories of... Uh, <laughs> you know, of of what really happened that he could never write about, um, you know, so that the, the novels that we know and love by Jack London are sort of the the sanitized, non-supernatural stories um, that, he, that he came up with based on his actual adventures that involved monsters and the supernatural. And uh, so uh, within, uh, you know, over the course of that evening, you know, Tim and I actually sold the book at the table that night wow. to um, to a uh, we sold the trilogy to a publisher who shall remain nameless <laughs> uh, and that publisher's partner uh, a few weeks later backed out of the deal and uh, so we you know we actually went about putting together the proposal officially and uh, and had our our agent take it out and we sold it. And, uh, and and we sold it for 
you know, uh, we did we did a lot better for ourselves than we would have if we'd done it with the publisher who was with us at dinner that night. <laughs> so we're we're very happy about that. But mostly we're just happy because we get to write uh, this trilogy, and the third book in the trilogy is um, is actually White Fangs, and uh, the first one is The Wild. Uh, which is sort of uh, reflective of the call of the wild, at least. And um, the second is the sea wolves, uh, which is actually very much structurally similar to the sea wolf, except it has werewolves um, and uh, pirate werewolves, I should say. Mm-hmm. And the third one does have uh, vampire polar bears, but it's actually a lot more sort of complicated than that. That sounds uh, much less. Um, sort of serious than we are taking it in the right. pages of the book. Uh, well, you, you you kind of skipped ahead and, and and stole my next question, but that that's perfectly sure. fine because um, I was going to ask how the the idea came about. But I'm curious, given the um, fact that you're you're kind of positing these these uh, secret adventures of Jack London, how much research did you do uh, about uh, London? It's kind of interesting. I, I I'm I'm no expert by any means, but I have read a couple of biographies and. And, you know, a lot of people know him for his most famous works and aren't aware of, of how prolific he, he really was as a writer. Well, you know, the, you know, the, the blunt answer is there are lots of things about Jack London that, you know, modern researchers would find, uh, shall we say, uh, less than admirable. Uh, but there are also a lot of things about Jack London that were very admirable. Uh, he was a very interesting guy with a, who led a, a, a fascinating, if if brief, life, uh, and never seemed to be settled. You know, he was somebody that never seemed, uh, uh, you know, content with himself or with the world around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always found him a fascinating figure. I first read, uh, I read my first biography of Jack London when I was in middle school and uh, and had been, had been reading his fiction since that age. Um, and obviously the, his Tales of the North have always been my favorites, like they are so many people's, but uh, uh, I do I have enjoyed some of his other books as well. And we also did our share of research, not only on the, uh, you know, the, the Times and uh, the gold rush, uh, but obviously on at Jack London himself. And the best piece of information we came up with doing that research was that Jack London's mother was actually a spiritual medium. <laughs> uh, and that is true. That is not something that we made up for the book. And, uh, and in fact, she, when he was a child and he would misbehave, would um, take him into the kitchen uh, and put him on the kitchen table or the dining room table, I can't remember which now, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, offer him up to the spirits as a way to scare the crap out of him. <laughs> uh, and that's that's a, that's a, you know that's that's an established sort of bit of Jack London history that uh, that very few people are aware of unless they've read those things. And uh, and so we had already come up with our story. We had already sold the trilogy uh, before we um, before we. Discovered, discovered that. that bit of information, and as soon as we found it, we went, "Oh God, this is just so perfect." <laughs> uh, it was it was like a gift, really. You don't you don't get those too often. That's great. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you've also written other collaborative novels with mm-hmm. uh, Tim Levin. How, how does the collaboration work for 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 you and Tim? Obviously, it's different for everyone. Do you alternate chapters? Do you take certain chunks of the book and switch back and forth? How do, how does the the mechanics of that work? 
we do mostly alternate chapters, um, but the, the the collaboration with Tim is is quite a bit more organic than a lot of the collaborations I've had with with other writers, all of whom are my friends. And yes, they are all different, um, but uh, but with Tim, uh, you know, we Skype, and uh, it's it's really a great organic process where one of us will write a chapter, the other will read it, we'll get on Skype and discuss not only what we've just read but what we feel should come next. And so even though we do work from an outline, uh, it's much less... Uh, I, I, usually when, when I'm collaborating, I work from a, a, a stricter outline. But with Tim, we're able to work uh, in a way that, that, that allows the book to sort of grow organically. You know, we follow our outline generally, but, uh, but we also can be a little bit more inventive uh, and spontaneous than I think most collaborations are able to be. So that's, uh, that's pretty great. Great. Well, as I mentioned earlier and, and kind of alluded to, you, you, you've published many novels and short stories, and I think comic books as well, correct? Yes, correct. Well, yep. well, well certainly you have, um, even now, a, 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 a wide body of work. I'm curious if you can remember back to before you broke in, before you were published, and, and what was driving you? What what kept you going at that point in your life? Um, you know, I, I, I think everybody breaks in a different way. And I think that, um, you know, my circumstances were, uh, you know, I was, I was a careful guy. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, that was one of the things that I wanted to be. And But I thought to myself, I want to get the best education I can get just in case that dream doesn't work out. Um, and so I did. I went to the best school I could get into, uh, and um, then I got my education. And while I was at college, um, I, was, I, I took creative writing courses almost every semester, and I'd always written short stories, and, and I'd, a couple times I had sent them out to publications as a teenager, and then a couple when I was a little bit older, uh, but it was, you know, during my senior year of college when I when I was I started my first novel and I realized I can do this, and um, and at that point I um, when I graduated from college I got a job in New York City working for Billboard magazine, and uh, the woman who was my girlfriend at the time who is my wife now um, uh, we had a deal which was she would move to New York with me, um, and when I sold my first novel we would move back uh, to Massachusetts where mm-hmm. we're both from. And, uh, and so that was my plan. That was, that was the, uh, that was the plan. And, and, uh, I was very pleased to, to be able to do that. And, and what was the process like when you, when you did sell your first novel? Um, you know, I had written the novel I started, I started the novel in, I think, and I've never been a hundred percent clear about this because my mind just hasn't worked that way. I started the novel either in fall of 88 or spring of 89, I think fall of 88. Um, and I was writing pieces of it for my creative writing classes as a senior at Tufts University. And, uh, I, I, I went to Nikon in, uh, in Rhode Island where you were this summer uh, for the first mm-hmm. time, the summer after I graduated from college, which was 89, and I, um, at Nikon, I met uh, a whole bunch of writers who'd been my, my idols, my, uh, my touchstones uh, prior to that time. And I also met the woman who would become my agent for the first 12 years of my career and the woman who would become my editor who's bought many, many books from me since then. 
uh, Ginger Buchanan. Mm-hmm. And um, so basically, I I was there and I spoke to Laurie Perkins, who was an agent who uh, who still attends Nikon most of the time, and uh, and I moved to New York to work for Billboard, and I kept in touch with both of them and. Uh, I showed Laurie, I had written about 125 pages of, of my first novel, which is called Of Saints and Shadows. And I showed Laurie that 125 pages, and she came back to me and said, you've been in school too long. Uh, she said, go read this uh, out-of-print book by Dean Coons called How to Write Best-Selling Fiction, and go get Strunk and White, Elements of Style, and memorize it. And then take this manuscript you've written, set it next to the computer, and start over, not not edit what I'd written, but mm-hmm. actually write it from the beginning, uh, using it as a guideline, and uh, and just rewrite from scratch. And what I'd rewritten up to basically around the same point in the story, I gave it to her with an outline for the rest of it, and uh, and she submitted it out to editors, and Ginger Buchanan bought it. Uh, and, and it was Ginger, actually, who said, uh, is this a series? And we said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ginger actually bought the first two books, um, and they were my first two adult novels. First two novels, period. Right. Um, in terms of earlier in your life, do you remember how you initially got interested in writing and, and what, what those kind of early attempts at fiction before you worked on this novel Sure. I, um, you know, I, I, I was always a kid who loved this kind of stuff. I mean, I always say I write in all kinds of genres, but the horror people are my people. And um, I, uh, you know, I loved all of that stuff, comics and TV. And, um, and I, I, I discovered, uh, you know, a love of horror fiction, you know, mainly through short stories when I was a kid. Um, and I had gone from reading Jack London and Doc Savage and uh, Norse mythology to starting to read things like More Stories for Late at Night, which was ostensibly edited by Alfred Hitchcock, but obviously not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then from there, I discovered both Stephen King uh, by picking up The Stand in an airport bookstore and um, Charles L. Grant's horror anthologies by buying terrors in a uh, in a pharmacy on Cape Cod one summer and um, and so I uh, I immediately you know became you know entranced with horror fiction and uh, I, I followed you know um, Twilight Zone magazine and uh, and all of the Charlie Grant anthologies and and I actually met Charlie he was the first person in the industry I met uh, at uh, Boscone and uh, I I think it was 1985. No, sorry, it was February-ish, I think, of 86. And um, so I had written a bunch of short stories in uh, a couple in high school. I'd started writing probably in the eighth grade and, and not taken any of it seriously. But in high school, I wrote, you know, maybe four, five, six short stories mm-hmm. uh, that I liked. And then I, as soon as I was in college, I started... Um, and, and I guess the other two things I should mention is that my, or are that my, um, my mother had a friend who was an agent in Boston, uh-huh. and I don't even remember what she agented or what kinds of things she did, but she actually took my first two real short stories when I was in high school and submitted them to 
Playboy magazine and Ellery Queen and um, a whole a, a, a whole host of others. Um, and I still have all the rejections that she received for the stories. Um, but was what was great and what encouraged me was that those rejections almost universally came back with um, sort of uh, you know generic responses, but with handwritten notes or additional notes saying, you know, we can't believe this kid is 15. Um, you know, the, we can't buy these stories, but we want to really encourage him to continue because we think he shows real promise. And, um, and that, I'm sure, sort of set up camp in the back of my mind as, um, you know, this is what you should be doing. You should be telling stories. And um, I submitted a few stories to Charlie Grant, and, and they were rejected and I submitted a few stories to Cemetery Dance or a couple of stories and they were rejected um, but I was building and um, so actually the very first time I sold fiction was when I sold my first novel great um, I didn't I didn't submit short stories I was never really a big short story writer mm -hmm. but I uh, once at least once I started writing novels and um, uh, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do any other submissions other than the ones I just described. So, right. Well, you've written a lot of media tie-in fiction, including Hellboy, the popular comic book and movies, Buffy mm -hmm. the Vampire Slayer, and others. Is there any particular media property that you sometimes secretly wish you could get your hands on and write novels, short stories about? You know, there are always things that I wish I could do. I mean, there are things I would love to do in comics that I probably wouldn't take the time to do in novels. Um, and there are always things for a while, like right now, like right now, the one that I would love to do is Sons of Anarchy, because I think it's the best show on television. Um, prior to that, I, I had said for a while that I wanted to do The Shield, because at the time, that was my favorite show. <laughs> right, um, right. So there's always something that is, uh, you know, uh, attractive to me at any given time, but um, but you never know. And I, I don't do a lot. I've, I've really been fortunate in that, even though I've done a lot of media tie-in work over the years, uh, I've I've rarely, if ever, done anything that I wasn't completely 100% in love with. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've turned down a lot of things actually, that uh, because I just didn't have a feeling for them. I turned down CSI and JAG, and I just recently turned down Teen Wolf, a new MTV series. Right. Um, you know, just because it's not something that I have a connection to. Mm -hmm. um, Dark Angel when James Cameron, Cameron was doing that TV show. But, uh, but when somebody comes to me with something that's great or something that I feel a, a connection to, um, I just did a, a, a novel that actually comes out in October that ties in with the video game Uncharted. And it's in a, the first original novel in that world. And I, the game is great and fun and uh, it, it's sort of like Indiana Jones, Doc Savage, National Treasure, sort of all those things mixed in, and I had a blast. Right. Um, and I just did a book with Guillermo del Toro that's a prequel to his film Don't Be, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Ah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, when something like that comes up, uh, I'm still sort of more than happy to, to, to do something media tie-in. But it's got to be something that you care about, otherwise there's no point. Sure, sure. Well, when you're not writing, who are some of the writers that you read and enjoy? Oh God, there's a. There's a <laughs> I mean, the list is is impossible to uh, to go through. But some of my favorite writers include, um, I mean, in addition, of course, to to Stephen King and uh, Joe Lansdale 
and uh, let's see, James Lee Burke and Walter Mosley and Dennis Lehane and, uh, uh, you know, guys like Lee Child and mm-hmm. Doug Preston and Lincoln Child and uh, uh, I think Joe Hill's fantastic. He's a good friend, but I, I, I still have to give him props. Normally I give my friends crap, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say nice things because he really is tremendous. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, a whole, a whole host of, uh, of other writers. I also read beyond, you know, the genres. I, I, sure, I love sure. uh, Larry McMurtry and um, John Irving. And, you know, I mean, this is, uh, my, my two favorite novels of all time are The Stand and A Prayer for Owen Meany. So. Sure. Well, um, given your success with writing and publishing, what advice do you have for aspiring writers who would like to try to get their novels published? You know, I've been talking about this a lot lately because, of course, everything is different now. Sure. <laughs> um, the, the the last few years have been uh, a radical sea change uh, in publishing, and I honestly, you know, I feel like it's both the best and worst time um, for someone who wants to write professionally. But I really feel like if you're new if you haven't been published, if you haven't been out there, and you don't need money from writing to pay your bills, Mm -hmm. then I feel like if I were starting right now, I would start a blog, a writing blog, and I would post my stories for free. Mm -hmm. I I would write my butt off, and I would post everything I wrote for free. And I would try to spread the word and get people to spread the word and try to get, you know, other people coming to the site. And, uh, and I would, you know, get in touch. Some things are still true. You know, you need to go to conventions and meet writers or go to online message boards or blogs where writers gather and talk and, and try to communicate and make connections and all of those things because, you know, writers need to support one another now more than ever. Um, but um, I think that, you know, trying to get some kind of a base, uh, some kind of support, some kind of a... a uh, a reputation, even <clears throat> on a small level, uh, is is the currency of the current publishing world. And then from there, it seems like there's been some great success. A number of writers have had excellent success in then converting those free writings to paid ebook writings, right? And offering them for sale um, on all formats and things like that. And frankly, if I were starting now, that is the the process that I would follow, but I don't know how many people it's going to work for. Um, sure. I think it's a very interesting time. Have you have you been tempted to experiment um, with with eBooks? Given your you know, given that you're a prolific writer, uh, I have. I'm. I if I have the luxury of the time to do it, I will definitely do it. I've even mm-hmm. thought about. Um, doing a uh, uh, you know a, a serial novel online, sure. Um, but uh, you know I, I think others have done it, and I, I think it's the, the opportunity is there. Uh, but I also own the rights to a lot of my backlist, and mm-hmm. uh, and there there are many things that I may actually follow up on and offer myself uh, as eBooks um, that I've things that I've already written. So we'll right. see. Great. Well, you mentioned, um, if I'm not mistaken, Uncharted earlier. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, wh- what are you working on now, and, and, and what do you have kind of upcoming that will be published? 
Well, um, let's see. There are a few things that are coming out uh, right about now. I mean, uh, one is next month. There's a, a new anthology that I edited for St. Martin's called The Monster's Corner, uh, and that's uh, a very cool book. Uh, the subtitle is through, uh, Stories Through Inhuman Eyes, and it's basically all stories in which the monster is ostensibly or fundamentally the protagonist. Um, and so I edited that. Uh, let's see, what else do I have coming up? Um, in March of next year, uh, a novel that I've written with Mike Mignola called Joe Golem and the Drowning City will hit. And currently I've got another short novel, uh, or novella that I'm writing with Mike. Uh, Tim Leather and I are writing the third Jack London book. And I'm collaborating with Charlene Harris on a trilogy of graphic novels called Cemetery Girl. Great. Well, where can people find you online if they're interested in following all the work that you're doing? Uh, I'm online at ChristopherGolden.com, and I'm also uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Christopher Golden, the author and co-author of many novels, short stories, and comic books. Golden's novel in collaboration with Tim Lebin, The Secret Journeys of Jack London, which, as he, is, as he explained in this interview, is the first in a trilogy, is in bookstores and available now. Chris, thanks for doing the interview. Thanks, Jeff. My pleasure. Hi, this is author Peter O'Rulian, uh, author of The Unremembered, and you're listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.